Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, May 6th. We are here live. We're going to open the phone lines right now. Start dialing 855-950-3835 is the number to join us. It is a trucking technology and efficiency day. I'll be joined by Joel Morrow and John Walco here in just a little bit. Anything goes today, though, as well. Uh, if you have a question, a comment, a topic, anything at all, we will tackle it. I'm sure we all have a couple things to open with, and then we'll get right to the phone line. So go ahead and line them up. 855-950-3835. All right. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about the economy. I think we're working on getting, uh, I think I see Joel up there. I'll go to him in a little bit. I think we're looking for John. I think we're starting to see the cracks really show up in the economy and in our industry. And I think we're in for a pretty rough ride. I'm sure we'll talk about that more today. If you have any questions about it, we can talk about it. Really, now is the time to focus on your business, your numbers, and it's time to just really buckle down and do everything right. Get your numbers under control, get your fuel mileage under control, get maintenance costs under control, Slowing down is a big part of this as rates drop and fuel prices continue to climb. It always makes sense to slow down, to be a little pickier about your freight right now. You know, rates were so strong, fuel was cheap, you could run almost anything, run hard, make money. It's, uh, it's a different time. The market is really starting to show, the stock market is starting to show some of the problems. Interesting enough, um, I read an article yesterday about fleets and how they're not seeing any problems at all. They actually, some of the fleet executives actually said this is nothing more than late seasonality and everything will be fine in a month or two. Uh, well, well, we'll see if that's the case. I don't think that it is this time. Uh, I'm going to bring... Joel Lynn, you know, I'm playing around with technology again today. I have got my whole show set up virtually finished here in the studio. Um, We've got sound quality the way we want it. We've got everything working the way we want. I still need to do some work on my mobile setup. So the next time I hit the road, Uh, I want something that works a little better and is a little more mobile than what I had last time. And I'm now working on the setup for the remote host, which will be very similar probably to what I'll use when I'm mobile. We're testing some new equipment, some new technology. Uh, Joel, you're first up on the board. Welcome back. Hey, Kevin. How's it going? Oh, good. I can hear you. I have no idea what happened with my music this morning. That was weird. (laughs) Yeah, I heard it. Well, good. I could see that it was playing and I thought, well, that's not a good thing, but uh, I can hear you. So I'm good. I'm actually experimenting today with some equipment that we're probably going to get to you guys uh, to make it much easier for you to do the show on the road. Even if you wanted to do something on your own without us, 
you could do that and it should be pretty small and good quality. So that's kind of my project here lately. Awesome, man. That sounds cool. Yeah, we're uh, we're looking at possibly doing this with uh, like even a small iPad. You'd be able to control all the phone lines and the show and good quality. And uh, I need it too. I don't want to have to drag all this equipment I had with me last time. So we'll see. We'll uh, see how the how the show sounds today, and then uh, I'll keep working on that. So, what's new and exciting in your world this week? Oh, I've been uh, working on a uh, a multi-stop load running out west here. I'm I'm just uh, I had 18 stops around Texas. I'm leaving San Antonio right now on I-10 West, heading towards San Angelo Midland area, where I'll probably take my my 34 off up there. Um, slowed things down considerably for this entire trip to kind of more match the speed to the fuel prices as as you've been talking about um just setting in that low 11 mile a gallon range which was really nice to see out of a six by four with no arrow uh real real happy with that um about sixty thousand pounds gross combination when i left uh spent the day yesterday making drops in houston and san Antonio. Oh, hold on one second. Hmm? Oh, there you are. Sorry, I must have uh, I must have hit a button yep. there. I, I muted you for a second. Uh, <laughs> oh, go gotcha. Ahead. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm making. Mo- go ahead and jump right back in there. Yeah. So I was making multiple drops around Houston and San Antonio the week prior. I was making stops up around uh, you know kind of the New York metro area. Area, Boston area. Um, I got to tell you, I, I think I'd rather do drops up there than Houston and San Antonio. It's it's kind of crazy down here. Uh, I, I, the speed is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it is nuts. And uh, I, yeah, I, I think I'd rather be back east making drops, honestly. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I just came back from being in the Midwest and over towards the East Coast, and uh, the roads make me crazy. The congestion makes me a little crazy. But I would agree with you. I don't mind driving across Texas. I don't mind driving in Texas. As long as I can avoid Dallas and Houston, <laughs> I hate those two cities for driving. Um, I, I- yeah, yeah, me too. But I was surprised at San Antonio that you know it's been it's been a little while since I've been down here, and and wow, it seems like they've really kicked things up a notch in terms of traffic. It was a uh, it was a little nuts yesterday, and then early this morning making making drops. But we got them done and and out on I ten now, which is really nice, and just setting the cruise here at fifty seven mile an hour. I'm gonna let her let her ride for the next I don't know ten hours or so until I get up to the Midland area and and then I'm done for the week. Yeah, so I want to go back to make sure we don't just kind of gloss over that number because that that number is pretty incredible and we're not talking about just one leg where you were going downhill with a tailwind. Um I'm sure you're talking about your average on this trip. This is a multi-stop load. Um, this is a fairly, like you said, you're 60,000 pounds, which, you know, is still significant amount of weight. You're not empty. Uh, and, and you and I both know that 
when you post this kind of stuff and you post numbers, that's what somebody will focus on. Oh, well, you were almost empty. Oh, well, you were light. Okay, I want you to go out with 60,000 pounds and see what your number is. It won't be anywhere near that uh, for the average truck on the road, not even close. So I, I... you know, when somebody just points out well, that one thing, oh, well, you're driving really slow. We, yeah, we're trying to point out that that actually works. Well, you're really light. Well, so we all get these loads once in a while. But to get those kind of numbers, and I, I want you to say that number again, so people really let that sink in. Yeah, so I right now, as I said, I'm at 11.21 for the entire trip, including the drops in Houston and San Antonio. Now, I'm going to confirm that on the next fill-up, um, but I'm very confident in the accuracy of the dash. We've, we've had this thing calibrated, and it's it's pretty spot on. I did run loaded all the way from Ohio. My very first drop happened in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, so I, I had the full 60000 on, uh, of course, coming down through Kentucky, coming through Tennessee, uh, had some hills, came down 55 in Mississippi. You know, some rollers out there, nothing huge, but definitely some hills. And uh, the, the fuel mileage held incredibly well. Just a couple of years ago, uh, with my 11 liter that I, I really loved and done very well at lower speed, would have had no hope in you know in, in turning that middle 11 with 60,000. Uh, coming through the hilly terrain. Um, and, you know, this, this pulls very nice being the, the 13 liter at the higher horsepower setting with the, the turbo compounding unit. So it made for a very nice ride coming down. Um, you know, average speed was 50.5. Uh, it'll be a little lower now because of the stops and all the surface street stuff I had on there. I'm assuming I'm going to be down around 46 and some people are going to freak out, but that's just the nature of multiple stops your average speed will not be all that high. And I think this all goes back to what you were talking about earlier. You know, you're, you're looking at possibly a bloodbath amongst the, the owner operators and small fleet operators. And you had talked about now's the time to get your business in order and to slow your truck down. Uh, in my opinion, it's past time. You should have been doing this when, when things were very good. Um, I, believe that the bloodbath is going to be huge for the owner operators and the small fleet just because even at six dollars a gallon guys refuse to slow their trucks down they will not look at it from a business perspective it's how i feel or this is what i want to do and the second that comes out of your mouth if that's your mindset and you're not paying attention to your numbers and evaluating rates to to speed to efficiency i i mean you're gonna have a hard time getting through this well, you know, they don't have any time to really look at their business and what's going on with their numbers because they're too busy blaming the brokers for this. Somehow, somehow, and I don't understand this logic, yeah. for the last several years, these are the same guys who are kind of laughing at the brokers. Oh, my God, you should have saw the rate this guy called me with. I laughed at him and hung up. And it, somehow, right. though, now, brokers must have gain some sort of magic control over rates and loads. And my question always is, if the brokers have the power to do that now, why weren't they doing that for the last two or three years? 
<laughs> you know, you're you're exactly right. Uh, you know, that's always a ridiculous argument. It's a broker. So you always look to blame somebody else. You never want to look in the mirror and say, man, I, I'm screwing up, right? You just never want to do that. So it's easy to blame a broker because this is kind of a nameless, faceless entity. It's the broker. You know, you're not calling them out by name and you're not naming a specific person. So it's just very easy to say it's the broker. It could never be me. It's the broker. And, and, you know, we have been taught that, and this, this ties back to what we had talked about last week. I think when we, we look at how we pay company drivers, everything is based on productivity and, and nothing is about the safety or efficiency aspect. So a lot of guys that were company drivers that turned, you know, and became owner operators, they've had that productivity is pounded into their head at all expense, productivity, productivity, productivity. You know, there's never been a time value or a safety value um, attached to their pay in any way. So they have a very difficult time even imagining that slowing down's an option because they just haven't been trained to look at it in that regard. It, it's productivity above everything, no matter what. And that'll put you out of business. It, it really is. I think it's going to happen faster than we thought. You know, what do you think about this article? They they uh, interviewed many fleet executives from, I think it was 10 large fleets. And it's almost like these guys aren't really aware of what's happening. They, their answer was, uh, we just think this is some late seasonality and the rates will bounce back and we're in great shape because our contracts are, you know, we're still doing great with contract freight and, you know, our fuel surcharge is keeping us fine there. And they don't seem to think there's anything negative coming. Here's the disconnect. I think when we look at it or when the owner operator looks at it, that's out running the load board, you know, um, traditionally that has done very well over the last year, year and a half, whatever it's been, the run's been very good, very strong fleets. Like my brothers, we've kind of taken it on the chin for the last couple of years because our contract rates were nowhere near as good as what they were getting out on the load boards. So as we're seeing this correction and adjustment, our contract rates are kind of remaining the same. They're going to fall maybe a little bit over time. They're not going to fall a heck of a lot, we don't think. So I, I, we think we're in a pretty good position um, compared to your typical small fleet owner-operator that's running load boards. Uh, I think we're in a really strong position because we've learned to deal with the lower rates, and we can deal with much lower rates if we have to. Obviously, we don't want to. Um, but and, and I think most of the bigger fleets are in that same position. You know, they, they didn't enjoy the, the load board rates. They were all stuck in, on their contract rate that they had to take care of. And they know that through economies of scale that things can dip to a certain point. They're still going to be okay. And uh, so I, I'm kind of torn what, what I think is going to happen. I, I'm sure that the owner-operator crowd and the small fleets that are that they're not running contract freight, they are going to get hammered and hammered in a big way. And these are the guys that aren't slowing their trucks down at all. You know, they, they want to talk about speed differentials and all this craziness. It has nothing to do about that. It's all about, you know, um, surviving this downturn to me. And your speed is going to be your most expensive thing as an owner operator. 
uh, at six dollar a gallon diesel fuel, no doubt. You know, one of the things that um, I, I don't know if they're taking into account when I look back over all the downturns I've been through, and there have been several of them. The really big one was the last one, oh eight, oh nine. Rates went way down. You know, after a while, those contracts run out. Um, the smart fleets. Um, the way you guys run your business, you didn't try to screw your shippers when you could have. You, you could have gouged them for more several times, I'm sure. Uh, the smart fleets that didn't do that, that build those long-term relationships and it's give and take, you know, we won't screw you when rates are super high uh, if you help us when, you know, rates are lower. You see the fleets that do that really don't have problems with these big ups and downs. But there are lots of fleets, medium and, and large, that, that didn't do that. A lot of them didn't even honor their contract freight. They, they left their shippers yeah, those are, hanging, and they went out and yeah, grabbed the spot the market that, instead. Yeah, those are the guys that are going to be in a world of hurt as, as things turn around. There is no doubt about it. You know, we're, we're fully expecting this bloodbath to occur with the owner-operators and small fleets and the bigger fleets that, that you know, they didn't really take care of business in a way that I think they should. They're going to wash out pretty quick. And when they start to wash out, even though freight demand may drop off, capacity is going to drop off considerably as these guys wash out. So I think, I think the guys that have really done their homework in these mid-sized and large size fleets and they've, they've done the right thing here they're expecting this big bloodbath and washout and they think that they've got enough uh, stability in their contract freight that they're going to be able to make it through to the washout and then take advantage of it on the other side as things pick up you know one factor that i i just do not remember and much of this at all during any of the other downturns Throughout all the other downturns and, and times when rates were really good. And the one thing I don't ever remember seeing is I don't remember seeing drivers' wages go up like they have this time. And as soon as fleets started raising driver wages because the rates were so high, I even said, I, I get it. You have to. You have to pay, you know, what the market's paying to keep drivers. It's always been a problem keeping drivers anyway. But I said, I, I wonder if, if somebody's run the numbers on what's going to happen when rates drop back down. You really can't drop payback. That, that's a, a, just a horrible no. idea. It never works. So I, I wonder how many fleets might get stuck with that, that their, their wages are just too high for what we're heading into. Well, now you're you're right. There are going to be certain fleets are really going to struggle with that. There is no doubt. You know, a lot of that depends on you know how strong their their in-house maintenance is, how reliable their equipment is. You know what what they paid for their equipment. A lot of that's going to determine are they going to be able to um, continue to pay their drivers. There's there's no question about that. Their operational costs they they definitely have to look at. You, you know your big fleets, your your Snyder's, your JD Hunt. They've got all this stuff in check. Right. There's there's no right. doubt about it. And you got to remember what drove them wages originally before everything took off was the ELD mandate. That was what originally right. started yeah. to to spike drivers' wages. So I I do not expect wages to come back down to where they were pre-ELD, uh, regardless of how bad the market right. gets. I, I doubt right. if we see a wage drop at all because of that, that regulation, which is great for the, the company driver, no doubt about it. Um, uh, it, it, it. This is one of those cases where 
I'm not a government regulation guy by any stretch of the imagination, but there are times when it it benefits us as, as drivers out here, especially the company drivers, which we don't talk a lot about. It's mostly focused around owner operators, but um, that has been a definite driver of wages. And then, of, of course, the ultra competitive environment in order to keep drivers in trucks really helped uh, to boost wages as well. Yeah. Hey, you know, um, I don't know why I just don't bring both you two in in the beginning and then we can all talk over each other. It <laughs> seems to work really well when we do that. So. <laughs> so, so, John, welcome. Thanks, Kevin. Glad to be back again. Uh, this is one of three or four in a row we've actually made together, huh? I know. I know. I'm, I'm really liking awesome. this. It's yeah. uh it's a great way to end the week. It's a little more lighthearted, a little more fun. I don't feel a lot of pressure. It's a whole lot easier when you have two or three people and you can just kind of hang out and throw stuff out there and talk about it. One one thing I do want to throw out before I forget this, as I was making some notes this morning on shows and stuff, things I've been thinking about, you know, I realized through the last year or two when these rates were just crazy and it's all we were talking about, rates were so strong. We always love that. It's a great time in the industry. I have not heard, I'm trying to even think when the last time somebody actually called me about either being in a lease purchase. I used to get those calls all the time. I just realized over the last year or two, I haven't gotten hardly any, or I really haven't heard from the people, and I know there are still a lot of them out there, that were on mileage contracts. And, I, you know, in all the reading I do, I, we, we heard about, you know, company driver wages going up. I really didn't see many announcements about, you know, um, owner-operator on mileage contracts. I didn't see much about those being raised every now and then i'd see something a couple cents here or there but i haven't heard from any of those guys either like what have they been doing all this time and in some ways they're better off if they made it through this if they missed out on all those high rates they're a lot better off right now nothing's really going to change all that much for them except maybe they won't be able to get as many miles if rate really slows down but this isn't any big change for them. I'm just wondering why I haven't been hearing from them lately. We've had a couple of calls. Well, let me go back. A, a, maybe I was listening to some of your other shows, or we've had a couple of guys who've called and successfully got through them. Are they just not as common right now? I mean, are that many people trying to do that? I would almost think there's I, more. You know, the only... Yeah, the only one that I'm aware of that I, I've watched at all uh, was Sherwin Williams. They they have a, a company that hires owner operators, and I believe those guys are are mileage based. And they had announced you know some pay raises right through the whole run up on rates. Um, I didn't look at it close enough because I'm not directly involved with them. I just it kind of caught my eye every time they threw it out there and. And uh, I, I think they're saying those guys are, you know, in that two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand dollar a year uh, range for for a, a solo, which eh, not not too bad, I guess. No, that's so, that's respectable. Um, I mean, you, yeah, you, I, I, you could yeah. clear over a hundred thousand if you're just running your business reasonably well. Um, that wouldn't be a bad number at all. And like I said. You know, it, it had to be difficult during that time. There were times when the average spot market rate was double 
what the average contract rate was for an owner-operator on a mileage contract. It was actually double. That had to be hard to watch. But if you made it through, they're in better shape right now. See, that's the exact formula. What you just talked about is what we do. We saw that quite often. Spot market rates were, I wouldn't say double what our contract rates were, but they were significantly higher. And that temptation was always there. You know, you just were like, man, I just want to tell these guys to go pound salt and go out and run. But if you've lived through it before, you know what's coming. And so it's like the tempters out there with a poison apple saying, come get it, come get it, come get it. And, and, you know, we, we knew to stay away for the most part. Um, sure. A lot of these guys talk about all this money they made, but let's, let's see how they come through on the downturn. Now I I would suspect that a, a, a decent percentage of those guys that, you know, were out buying toys and, you know, new bass boats, new pickup trucks, doing all this stuff that they're going to have a real difficult time making it through the downturn. Yeah, I think so. John, what's on your mind this week? Uh, I've been off testing or racing the past three weeks in a row. I've talked to you guys from tracks almost nonstop. So I've just pretty much been uh, doing suspension and aero stuff, you know, like crazy. And Joel, Joel sent me a link to companies going to start working with out of Australia with some truck suspension stuff. And just, uh, you know, thinking about that and uh, what we can maybe do with it, and there's some pretty cool things there. Um, aside from that, uh, yeah, I said that this is my first time to breathe is today, so I'm just kind of getting gathering my uh, get everything together and and uh, just just trying to go forward here. So, whatever you guys want to talk about or any questions for me, I, I'm up for it. But uh, you know, the economy stuff is is weighing on me a little bit. Is we're we're talking. Uh, I used to joke and say uh, the race car indicator was ahead of the boat indicator as to what the economy was going to do. And there's a disconnect right now. You were talking about the disconnect with the big fleets. There's also a disconnect right now with the money I'm seeing being spent and people are spending to do this thing that I do that is total luxury. You know, there's, I mean, it, it, it's more, it's more selfish than a boat. You could at least put your family in a boat and take them out on a, on a weekend. Uh, you know, the people who do what I do are, are you know, uber wealthy and, you know, usually very successful businessmen and are, are, you know, have piles of confidence, maybe a touch narcissistic and they aren't slowing down at all. I've, I'm seeing money being spent in my business right now, like never before. So either there's a lag um, you know, you spoke of 08, 08 just about put me out of business. I mean, I went from having six or eight employees and, you know, my own rig actually had two rigs for a while. I think I didn't, I was already down to one by, by, by the time 2009 came and this business got really cutthroat. So the wealthier team owners, uh, you know, one thing that I've had to compete with in the past are, are people who have this business as a hobby. Not only is it, are we providing a hobby for somebody, but quite often team owners do it because they've got another business and they need to lose some money somewhere. And we're, you know, stop cutting each other's throats. And guys like me who did it for a real living got left out in the cold. I was one of about, you know, five or six teams who decided to put the brakes on that year uh, in the series we were in. And I don't see that right now. It's, you know, I don't, I, you know, maybe if I'm trying to bring some good news here, I'm, I'm not sure, <laughs> but it's just, it's, or it's going to happen really big next year. I'm not sure what the deal is, but uh, the, these, you know, some of the people that I deal with are spending money like crazy. 
you, you wonder why there's inflation. To me, there's inflation because people keep spending the money. I mean, it's what the market will bear, right? And it just, if people keep doing it and people are getting paid more here and there, we're paying mechanics more than I used to make as an engineer five years ago right now. So it's, it, it's, it's nuts. You know, I, I think that is the difference this time that, you know, we, when we watch an economy and it's kind of like a roller coaster, it's going to go up, it's going to go down. The higher it goes up, probably the farther it's going to fall. We've seen this many times, but I, I just don't remember an economy like what we've seen in the last couple of years, which is what you're talking about, where, you know, there's, there's a big split. I, I think there clearly are a lot of people on the very bottom that have really, really struggled over the last couple of years. We've seen more and more homeless. Um, you, you know, and, and the homeless, I don't know why I went off on homeless people, but uh, because I'm talking about the whole economy and how strange it is. So the last place I stopped on the trip home, I pulled into a Walmart um, near Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, um, big new Walmart, huge parking lot, lots of places to park. So I like to stay way out at the edges. And I pulled into this first spot, like right at the very edge of the parking lot. Nobody around. There was one car at the end of the spot when I, I kind of pulled into the whole row. And I was thinking it's probably just an employee's car and, you know, they'll be leaving after their shift. And when I kind of pulled up, I was pointing right at it. And I realized there was a woman in the car. And this was a fairly nice minivan, not a, you know, ragged piece of junk. Um, And as I'm sitting there, I realized she's parking to sleep here for the night. She's living in the van. And and I actually moved because it was a little awkward because I was like looking right in her car for my driver's seat. And I thought, you know what, I'll move. I went over to another edge the exact same thing. There was one car kind of at the end of the row. And when I pulled in, as I'm pulling up to park, I look in and I realize another fairly nice SUV. Um, and there's a woman in there getting ready to go to sleep for the night. And then the next thing I know, there was another one in that line, another fairly decent car. Um, then there were the usual, you know, tweakers in there, you know, boarded up, you know, 1981 Suburbans and pulling junk trailers and and they pull in and you always see them at truck stops and Walmarts. But I I was a little shocked at these people that you don't, and I've parked at Walmarts for years overnight. And all of a sudden I'm seeing people that you don't normally see. And you just wonder what's the story behind that. I mean, how do you end up in a, you know, fairly new minivan, but now it's also home and you're sleeping at Walmart. Um, it just seems a little odd. And then on the other hand, what you were just talking about the last three years, so much excess, more than, you know, I went through the 80s and they talked about the 80s being the decade of excess. And it kind of was, uh, but not like this. Um, you know, now we talk about how many billionaires took their own rockets into space. Uh, that's a lot of right. money. Um, or you talk about well, these these race teams where nothing's off limits anymore. It's like w- whatever we have to spend, we'll go spend. Right. I've got a I've got a guy local ish uh, DC area who just bought a four hundred thousand dollar car and is having it shipped to my shop for me to look after for him. He's not even going to come race in the series, and so he just wants one, and he's going to go play with it, and we're going to 
prep it for them. I mind. I mean, that's, you know, I'm lucky enough to be a service business that, that caters to that group. Right. But you know, I could, I could go on and on and, you know, I, I may be like, I like to think of myself as a left leaning libertarian as opposed to a right leaning libertarian, but I'm still somewhere around the center there. Right. You know, I think, uh, you know, personal freedoms are first and foremost and, you know, business, I think the market will sort things out. I, I think that there needs to be a rule set to allow the markets to sort things out. That's where I might, you know, lean a little more left than being a true libertarian. Uh, but if you look, I don't want to go to the 80s and I think about the decadence right now. I really think this is another roaring 20s. And history tells us what happened after that. So, the, so I said, I, like I said, I'd like to blow some sunshine into here, and I, I'm not seeing the problems. I'm not seeing the issues. Yeah, I, don't, I hate spending six bucks a gallon to fill up my my pickup truck, but uh, you know, it's it, I, I'm making enough to for it to not bother me. You know, which is which is interesting. Uh, but you, you'll see, you know, after you know after the depression and. You know, there were some pretty strict rules on business that have been slowly lifted since the depression. And it looks to me like history is kind of repeating itself right now. I really do. I think that, uh, there's too much money simply being made off of money rather than making things and doing things. And, and, and that, that makes the rich richer and the rest of us are becoming service industries to take care of them. Yeah. One of the things I'm, I've been watching and it's, it's hard to, get your head around and and I'm seeing it personally right now. You've been out here. I live in a really small town um, and, you know, we have employees and um, uh, several of our employees are struggling with finding a place to live. Uh, It it, not only are the prices of places through the roof, but you you just can't find anything at all. There's just no open rentals anywhere near us. And when something does come open, I'm shocked at the price and the fact that it doesn't even make it a day on the market. And I'm not (laughs) sure what happened. I mean, we've built more in the last three years in this town than the whole 12 I've been here. And yet there's nothing left for people to rent and live in. And one of the things that is happening in this country, and I, I, I'm just trying to put my finger on it because it, it doesn't make sense to me. When it comes to rental properties, the really smart investors for years, instead of you know buying one small house and turning it into a rental, they would wait until they could at least buy a duplex. Multi-units are much, much better investments when it comes to rental properties than single-family homes have ever been. And single-family homes, traditionally, the the rentals are owned by somebody who lived in it once. They managed to save enough money. They could go buy a second house when mortgage rates were cheap, not have to sell their first house. So they turn it into a rental. Um, it's not usually the really serious investors that have single family homes as rentals. But something changed over the last three years and single family homes have been being bought up by these big hedge funds and investment groups. And it's part of what drove the real estate market crazy because these these hedge funds had so much money, they didn't even bother to negotiate prices. They would just come in and offer more than what the home was listed for. And then they started these bidding wars. And it's kind of like, 
you know, we keep hearing this report that Bill Gates bought up all this farmland and he owns more farmland than anybody in the country now. But these big head funds now tend to own more rental real estate than anybody else. It's kind of a scary trend. That's really interesting. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. But you see the signs everywhere, the 800 number to call if you want to sell your house. I mean, it, right down the road from my shop, I, I pulled up to the stop sign and I saw, you know, just, just a piece of paper stapled to a phone pole saying that we buy houses. Yeah. Said, All right. But, but you're, but so, so, so behind that is some big hedge fund. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. It, it, hmm. And, you know, like I said, a typical real estate investor wouldn't be able to, you know, buy three or four or five single family homes in a year. And you wouldn't anyway, because they weren't, they're just not good numbers wise. Um, But these hedge funds now have so much money. uh, And that's part of the problem. I think we've, the whole economy has just been flooded with ridiculous amounts of money and it is what drives inflation. But it's kind of scary when, you know, the, the farmland is all being bought up by somebody with that much money. And now we find out that houses, um, the two things we absolutely need, we need food and shelter. And it scares me that (laughs) people with all this money seem to be trying to control those things. You know, there's another news story. One of the things I think I'm going to do going forward with this show, because I think all three of us think similar in a lot of ways and we're interested in a lot of things. I think I'm going to challenge all three of us. Every time we do a show, we should have to, each one of us has to bring a really cool topic that we've never talked about before. There you go. <laughs> well, that make it interesting. We'll still, and we'll still get in the weeds and go off on another topic. Of course. Right. Before, probably. <laughs> right. Right. But I, I just think we, we, we all need to kind of stretch our brains a little bit and go look for some new stuff. So we're not talking about the same thing all the time. Um, Oh, I can do that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that, that should be fun. But here's a news story, and maybe this will be my topic for next week because I, I need some incentive to go do this digging. So one of the companies we're um, familiar with and we're talking about some projects, and I actually got a chance to talk to the owner, and um, I never realized how big they were. They started here in Oregon. Um, they're pretty much nationwide now, except maybe far north New England might be the only part of the country they're not in. It's a company called Azure Standard. And it started on a little farm here in Oregon. They wanted to market their own products directly to consumers instead of you know, trying to go through distributors and retailers. And they've now grown it into this huge food company that really focuses on you know, the, the better kind of food that we talk about, the, the, you know, more real food, not heavily processed, a lot of organic produce. They even do meat now, the, you know, local, and they contract with local farms wherever you are. And they, they will do home delivery, but it's fairly expensive. Their model really is they have, they have drop points. So, you know, I go 20 minutes to Hood River to a little natural grocer and I pull up to the back and my order's all boxed up for me and I just pick it up and bring it home. I went and got one yesterday. Or once a month, there's actually a family here in town that is a drop point. In order to be a drop point, you have to have a minimum of a $500 order. So 
They just do it once a month. So once a month, I don't even have to leave town. It's right here. I've even thought about, you know, becoming a drop spot myself one more time a month. It's a really cool business model. And we were actually working with them because they hire a lot of truck drivers too. And like everybody else, they're looking for drivers. So we've talked to them about a couple projects and um, I got to talk to the owner. Great company, just awesome. Their main um, warehouse plant um, just burnt down recently, which is pretty unusual. I mean, it's a big building. It was a big fire. It was big news. And it was the first time I had really paid attention to this, but then I saw an article uh, that somebody posted along with this one that four other big natural food plants around the country have burnt to the ground. Then I saw an article this morning and it was just a headline and I didn't have time to go dig into it, but they were claiming like 56 food processing plants around the world have either burnt to the ground, blown up, had some sort of... I I have a hard time believing that, but I, I... Need to go dig into it, I guess, but that's kind of a scary trend too. Well, you know, I, go ahead, go ahead, Joel. I, yeah, I saw something on—I uh, I don't remember what news report I was watching, but they were talking about the incidence of light plane crashes into food processing plants, and there's like <laughs> been five of them in a year. What? Yeah, the that. last one was just down in Georgia. An, a, a light airplane crashed into a General Mills food processing plant down in Georgia, and then somebody got digging, and they said that's like happened five times around the country this year. Well, well I'm okay. That's, cr- that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> There's a devil as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, all those, all those big, big food. But, you know, when they're catching our little organic guys, that's a problem. I mean, yeah, that really that's an, that's an issue. Uh Oh, you, you know, we all, you know, we, we've done, you know, I've studied all the books on, on food that not all that you have, but I'm trying to catch up. I, I, I don't know if I'll get to a hundred and maybe, maybe, maybe in a year or so I'll catch up to you. I'm not going to do it in a year, but, uh, you know, something like, like, you know, Bezos buying up a bunch of farmland doesn't really bother me as much as, uh, cause, cause I really don't think anybody should be eating, eating that stuff. And, and I'll go against some of my hot rodder friends. I don't have a problem with renewable fuels. In fact, I think that stuff has better off going in your car than your body. So let's go grow all the corn we want and, and then turn it into fuel. I, I really don't mind that a bit. Uh, cause I really don't think you should be eating it. <laughs> so it's, I agree. It's, I, I, the the so, only yeah, thing so, that, yeah. that bothers me I mean, I, I don't want to get too far off into the weeds, but when you keep hearing these stories, and some of them I've verified, I have verified that the big hedge funds bought an awful lot of real estate. Um, the fact that Bill right. Gates bought the land, that, that, and you're right, okay, the, stuff, okay, yeah. the yeah. stuff that he wants to grow on there, and honestly, he's big into the fake meat, and in order to create fake meat, you need a lot of plants. That, that's where all that right. stuff comes from. So I, I can kind of see where he's going and it doesn't bother me. I'd rather deal with local farmers and real food and, you know, grow my own in the garden. And, but I do worry about hungry people. And it's, you know, I, another article this morning, I saw parents are starting to panic of newborns because there's a baby formula shortage. Right. Hmm. 
Well, you know, I, I think unless you absolutely can't, you should be breastfeeding your child. Right? So that to me is, yeah. Yeah, and honestly, uh, I, I went through that, and it's a pretty big thing in the natural health world that um, there's a market for breast milk. So mothers who sometimes can produce more than they need, there's a market for that. They sell it. And women oh, who wow. can't okay. breastfeed but want to, there there is a whole, it's kind of an underground market. There, there's groups, and they share it and sell it, and um, it's kind of a big deal. I didn't know that. Yeah. Just, just, um, just a lot of weird trends going on. And then, and then when you hear, well, you know, we saw this one event in the news, but then somebody went digging and found 10 more. Well, why didn't we hear about all 10? Right. <laughs> why do we have to go dig to find this stuff? It sounds like pretty big stories to me. Right. Yeah. So that's interesting. Uh, food processing plants. What was the name of your company? I'm going to look them up. Uh, Azure. A-Z-U-R-E. And it sounds like they just took the whole CSA philosophy and they're trying to take it nationwide. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really, I, in fact, my guess is if I were to go back and talk to them and ask them, I'll bet they started much more like a true CSA. Um, and CSAs are a little tough for the average person because you make a commitment before the season even starts, you pay them and you don't know what you're getting. You get whatever happens to do well that week or whatever they're harvesting. And I I've done CSAs and I like them because for me, it was kind of fun to open the box and, you know, I have no idea what I'm getting now. I have to plan dinner. I kind of like that. But a lot of people don't. Too much uncertainty for them. So this takes the CSA model and makes it more convenient for the user. You, you order whatever you want. But for the most part, their food is sourced very locally. Right. So they could put a network together wherever they might be. So Yeah. And, and then you eat seasonally. You eat stuff that's in season when it's in season. And then you don't and yep. I, I think it's just healthier i love i love the philosophy we do a csa and it, it's like you know, the tv show chopped you don't yeah. know where you're getting but you, you get it and they have to figure out what you're going to make with it which is to me is just a blast yeah yeah it's kind of fun but, uh, you know I, yeah. i've i've opened up boxes and pulled something out and said what the hell is this i mean i don't even know what it is i have to go look it up yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. What do you say we uh, we take a phone call or two? Let's uh, let's That'd jump. Yeah, let's jump into the phones. We'll get started in Texas. Greg, welcome to the program. Hey guys, how y'all doing today? Good. What's on your mind? I was. Uh, you said you hadn't had many calls from people who are on been on mileage contract and in a lease, and uh, I'm uh, I do both. And I've I've done pretty good. The reason I stayed there and 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 on a mileage contract, uh, I had a guy that worked for me that we ran teams, so I did very well. You know, when everyone else was, I was just having I was just running teams to do it, and uh, I ran teams for about about four years or so, and uh, it it worked it worked out pretty good. Um, but then I got tired of being gone so much and. I'm still at the same uh, same company now, um, but I'm actually uh, the lease that I'm in. It makes it uh, you know it's it's a walk away lease. Um, uh, my it's actually up in October, anyways, and 
um, I'll be getting my own truck at that at that point for one because I'm ready to slow down, and two just to to have an older truck. Which, by the way, when I do that, I will be getting with you, Kevin, and for all of y'all, and try to do quite a few modifications to get that decent fuel mileage. So, if you don't mind me asking, what is the base rate and um I, i'm assuming you have a pretty standard fuel surcharge calculation right yes yeah um the way this company works because um a lot of what you do not so much on the team side but the so when you're running solo is a lot of regional working because it's a, a tanker outfit but you know not a lot of long haul and and this side of it um, so the, the fuel surcharge is kind of based on, on the region that you're on. Um, but, uh, yeah, we get, you know, like when I was running teams and I was running for, um, a lot, well, for a couple of years, I, we were running from New Orleans, uh, out west, either to, uh, either to a couple of places in California or, uh, to Phoenix. And, um, so, you know, it was the, the mileage, the, the base rate was, uh, I think it was a dollar, dollar thirty-five, and then okay. a fuel, you know, whatever the fuel surcharge was. So, you know, for the most part, uh, I was doing between a dollar sixty and a dollar eighty. Got it. A running so, mile, you know, and it's all turn and burn. I mean, you never, you know, if you do have to wait anywhere, uh, you know, they you get paid hourly. So, I mean, I I, I did well on it. Now, you know, well, not all of them. Are, are as good. Go ahead, Kevin. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say that that's um, it, it puts you in a really good position now. You know, you you made money during that time. Yeah. I'm sure there were times you looked at you know people talking about four dollars a mile, and it gets very very tempting. But you made it through that time. Oh, yeah. You made money during that time, and it puts you in a much much better position now. Um, because not yep. much is going to change for you. But Joel, th- those were the numbers I was talking about there a little bit. So his base rate, even even his base rate plus fuel surcharge, at times the average spot market rate was double what he was getting. Yep. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, we, like I said, we saw a lot of the same thing in contract rate, not, not to that degree, but uh, you could still make money doing it. There, there's no doubt about that, obviously. Um, but I think you're right. It, it did sort of prep you for when things kind of drop off. And I think this is how all the big fleets are looking at it. Exactly. Like you are here, Kevin, that, you know, we, we done our homework. We were able to survive on our contract, uh, freight rates. Um, you know, now that Delta or differential between the two is going to completely go away or maybe even reverse. And I think the fleets are feeling pretty confident that the, uh, the people, you know, running the spot market are going to wash out fairly quickly and there's going to be demand for capacity in fairly short order. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be an interesting time. No doubt. Got anything else, Greg? No, that was it. All right. Thanks for the call. All right. We've got some lines open. If you want to jump in, we are going to head off to Ohio. Brad, welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going? Good. What's on your mind today? Well, I've been... I, and with these current fuel prices, I'm looking 
at spending three hundred dollars a week just on idling because of the count that I run, the amount of hours that I actually end up sitting, and I've not heard anybody talking about ways to reduce your idling to be able to stay cool coming into these hot months ahead. Oh, oh, well, let, let me, uh, let me give you some information then. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I've Hold been over this. Yeah. I have been huge on solar with a battery electric APU for several years. We're rolling that out through our entire fleet. I'm currently doing an 18 stop tour of Texas where it's not uncommon for me to set 14, 15, 16 hours. Uh, all of the, all of our trucks now have eight batteries and we have two big Merlin solar panels up on the roof. My personal truck, I'm going to put a third on the hood, but I can easily make it 16 hours down here in Texas. Stay nice and cool. No problem. Idle percentage down around 1%. Hey, wow. hey, Joel, and, and I have, yes. Hey, you're my hero. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I, I absolutely love this system. We've worked on it for several years, and we think we've got it, you know, perfected to the point where it absolutely makes sense in a, in a fleet or an owner-operator uh, application. There's no uh, doubt about it. For the last several years, like you, I've been running the numbers. Look, these batteries have this much capacity. These solar panels have this much ability to charge. Here's a unit that you, I mean, it's math. And, and most of it you could calculate. And I kept calculating and going, wait a minute. I'm not getting why people say they can't sit for 8, 9, 10, 12 hours even. These systems should handle it. And I don't, I just didn't have the ability, the time to, to go out and prove that in a truck. But I, I just kept running the numbers and saying, look, I get it. There, one of the problems is there's really nothing off the shelf that you just go buy and, and bolt on and go. And, and that's what's missing in this market right now. Like you said, you've played around, you've tried solar, these batteries, different units, which is awesome, but to hear you say that in Texas, you've been able to go 14, 15, 16 hours, which is what I thought was possible. Uh, and, and if that's the case, what more do we need? And if somebody says, well, you know, I'm a single driver and I sit for my 34 or whatever, you know, once in a while, go spend 40 or 50 or 60 bucks and get a room. If it's 34 hours, Go get a room, get a gym and a pool and a big bed and a TV and spread out and enjoy yourself and go for a walk and go to dinner. And, and it's cheap. It's, I'm not saying do it every yeah, night. Well, you can that's exactly room too, can you, Kevin? You know, you know the accounting better. I mean, that's, that's probably, that's probably more easily expensive. Than, yeah. What would that, 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 that there's tax wise, there might be advantages getting a room once in a while, right? Yeah, tax-wise, let's say that we just splurge and we're going to go get a $100 room. Well, after your tax break, it's, it costs you 70 bucks to have that room for the night. Right. And, and again, I'm not saying yeah. you do it all the time, but if you're on a 34-hour restart, I don't care if you do have an APU. Who wants to sit in the truck all that time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's exactly what I'm doing on, on this round. When I get to Midland, I'm, I'm, I'm going to grab a room for, for my 34 um, you know, one of the nice things, especially when you have personal conveyance allowances now, um, 
on my last drop, I actually, you know, got a hold of the owner. I said, can I drop my trailer? I want to, I want to run to Walmart. You don't necessarily just find the closest Walmart. Maybe I find one that's a little further away. So when I do run my personal conveyance, it charges the batteries up. It's important that you have a big enough alternator that has the capacity. We spec a 325. I know a lot of people, oh, that's crazy. Why would you want an alternator that big? So I can charge my batteries when I run my personal conveyance and I don't have to have a lot of extra idle time going on. Um, it just makes a lot of sense. So if, if you just put a little bit of ingenuity to it, yeah, get the hotel room on occasion, uh, make sure the alternator's big enough, make sure you have solar panels and make sure you have true deep cycle batteries. The lead acid work just fine. As long as you have solar with them and an alternator that's big enough to bring them back to full charge in less than 10 hours. Um, you know, 160 amp alternator with eight batteries, it's not going to get you there. Uh, especially if you have a short day following an extended, you know, downtime, you're just not going to bring those batteries back to full charge. And that's kind of how you get into that degradation of the batteries when the alternator is not big enough. So every one of our new trucks spec with that 325 amp alternator, every one of them has solar up on the top. Every one of them has the eight batteries and uh, works very, very well. Yeah. And, and Brad, to give you the, the other end of the spectrum, um, you know, cause what we're, describing now eight batteries solar inverters um, an electric generator of some sort to run some sort of an air conditioner that's not cheap and and again it's not off the shelf yet you got to kind of know what you're doing you got to put the system together but like joel said and i said we've been looking at that for a couple years i knew it was coming we're we're there now i mean Joel proves it. You put this system in, really works well. On the other end of the spectrum, we have an awful lot of people who go out and buy really cheap gasoline generators, hundreds of dollars sometimes, not even a thousand bucks. They buy a room air conditioner, uh, one of these things you just vent out the window. And for pretty darn cheap, it's not as convenient. It takes up a little more space. It's not as, you know, tidy and neat and all automatic. And, but, for for pretty darn cheap, you can provide yourself with power even for a 34 if you want and, and cooling. Heating is easy. I mean, diesel fire heaters use almost no energy whatsoever. They use very little fuel. So staying warm has always been super easy and cheap for me. It's the cooling that has been a challenge. But some of these room air conditioners now are small and very efficient and you buy these cheap generators, and even if you wear one out, so what? Go buy another one. They're that cheap. <laughs> That's true. Now, and I was, I've been doing some investigating, and like Carrier has came out with an ion electric APU, but I don't really know much about them, and I don't know if they're any good or not. I think uh, they're good. Trying to figure out the best way. Yeah, I think they're really good. In fact, you know, who would know more about building that kind of stuff that stays on the road than than the, you know, reefer manufacturers, which I've always said they build excellent APUs because they have a lot of experience with that technology. So I'll bet their electric stuff is awesome, but it's not cheap. I mean, there's no doubt this stuff's still fairly expensive to build a really nice system, but you can build some pretty darn effective systems cheap. 
like I said, they're just not as pretty, not as automatic, not all, you know, nice and tidy, but you can do it cheap. And, you know, there's so many advantages to doing it this way now. Uh, I just, and um, Joel, I know you're real familiar with this. And I, I just saw they, they rolled it out at another expo somewhere. E-Now's fully electric reefer. Right. Oh, correct. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. A- there's a few of them. They're using they're using solar panels on the roof, and then they're using uh, the Conmet hub motor technology, and they're using the regenerative uh, braking and in combination with solar to, to charge batteries. So they can continue to charge. Even if you have snow on the roof, it's a cloudy day. Um, they've got a, a dual pathway to charge batteries. So it's pretty, pretty damn slick. It really is. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big deal. It requires a lot of energy to keep a full size reefer cold. Yeah, it, no doubt. I, I, I kind of question with all that regenerative braking that it's going to take, what, how that's going to impact the overall efficiency. Um, you know, I, I, obviously I'm not running reefers, so it's really hard for me to get into the, into the weeds, you know, real deep dive into the numbers on it. But, uh, you know, we like to talk about regeneration, braking, making electric and whatnot. There is some cost associated with that simply because our moments of inertia are going to start to multiply. And every time we have a moment of inertia, you know, we're going to have to have some horsepower to, to get us rolling again. And so it'd be interesting to see um, how that pans out, if it's really as efficient as, as what they're saying. I, I kind of have my doubts that it is, but, um, you know, without any hands-on experience, I kind of hesitant to, to say for sure. Um, it, it is very interesting, no doubt. Uh, the technology is pretty cool. Love yeah. the idea of the solar panels up top. I've got a solar panel company that actually wants to come in on this new trailer I'm talking, and they want to do the entire top just to see how much power they can they can generate, you know, in the real world and they want to put a big battery pack under the trailer and I think lithium ion or something. And, uh, it's going to be pretty cool just to see, see what the numbers are. And that's all they want to do. They want to put telematics on it and, you know, let me drive it around and they want to, they want to see what they're making for power. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, I love to hear your results on that. Hey, John, I've got an assignment for you. (laughs) <laughs> okay. All right. So there was a discussion in truckingtribe.com the other day. I want, want you to tackle this one. Um, somebody actually asked the question, why can't the electric motors on an electric vehicle, a car, a truck, whatever, why can't they produce recapture power while they're also driving? And I, it, when I first looked at the question, I thought, I, I should know how to explain that. Why can't I? Um, the, it's either a motor driving something or it's a generator recovering something. I, I don't know right. of a, one that can do both at the same time, which was my answer to the question. But then their comeback was, well, okay, then why don't we have two motors driving the vehicle and on the other two wheels, and he actually brought up those little generators we used to be able to buy for bikes when I was a kid. It flipped over and 
the little yeah, wheel, wheel yeah. went against yep. your tire and turned the generator and the faster you went, the brighter your lights got. Then when you stopped, your lights went off. Um, he said, why can't we do that and just generate power all the time going down the road to charge our batteries? I know that answer. Uh, and I could give it right now. It's pretty simple. Uh, it's called parasitic loss. Yeah, exactly. We can't hook a battery up on all the neighbors. You can't make a special motion machine without it doing. And and so there are losses, as as Joel was talking about, aside from the, the, the moments of inertia, you've got losses in energy conversion. It goes from AC to DC, back to AC, through some sort of speed controller. And with every one of those things, it generates some heat. If it goes through a wire, there's resistance in a wire, even if it's a really good wire. So you lose it. It it doesn't, you know, the thing might, you know, you could hook your, your, uh, battery up to your alternator and your, your motor up to your alternator and put a big flywheel on it and give it a spin. And it may go longer than it would, you know, if you just spun that flywheel alone. Uh, but eventually it's just going to stop and the battery is still going to go dead. So there, there are just losses no matter what you, you can't, nothing's free, right? No, no energy is free. Uh, so it just, uh, you can't make a perpetual motion machine like that. This doesn't work. Um, like, you know, like we said, uh, Joel was talking about, like, I like that reefer unit idea. I love the idea of, uh, capturing energy on braking. As, as I've said before, modern Formula One cars don't have rear brake pads. I mean, they have, the, they use the MGCU, I think they call it, and motor or something, you know, that, that recaptures the energy and puts it in the battery and uses it to accelerate off the turn. So you, know, you take that one moment of inertia where the car's slowing down and you immediately throw it back the other way whenever it, when it pulls out. And it, it, in essence, gives you more horsepower, a little bit of boost coming off. Uh, and, and all the schemes around that, all the software and all the, we talk about like tuning engines. Wait till people start tuning this shit. I mean, it's just there. There's so much to be done and so many different schemes and to be able to play with different, things you, you play with you know using a slight trickle charge going down the road and then use it to to, to come back you know and again when you need extra extra inertia but uh yeah you cannot build a professional motion machine there are too many losses it's parasitic loss from from every everything that happens there uh every every bit of energy conversion necessary takes it takes they all make heat right they're heat sinks on regulators and rectifiers for a reason i mean so that heat is energy leaving that's not being used to to power whatever it is we're driving yeah. well all the electric cars all the electric trucks they have cooling systems to keep things cool um so that that's exactly right and, and just like your internal combustion engine isn't utilizing all that heat although electric is probably more efficient it is not utilizing everything that's there either so yeah there, there's losses no matter what you do well, my explanation was, was just about the same. I said all the same things. You can't make a perpetual motion machine. We have all these conversions. We lose. And I've had this conversation with people, and I always get that deer in the headlights look, and, and their answer is always, but it, it, where I've had a lot of people say, why don't we put a, you know, a, a, an APU generator kind of thing on electric vehicles so you can charge the batteries. And my answer was, well, that's kind of what <laughs> hybrids are. Um, and yep. it, it's overly complicated that it, it's a nice intermediate step. But the, I, I think what a lot of people just can't understand or picture or, or get their head around is how much energy is going to be required to move 80,000 pound vehicles down the road. 
it's a lot. So sure, you could throw all the generators you want on there. And yes, you could charge batteries going down the road, but it's not anywhere near efficient. That's not the future of these vehicles. So, so one of the things that I think is pretty cool that they're starting to learn on these electric vehicles, and this is going to, you know, a lot of people are looking at this, wow, we can put a, an electric motor out there and it's going to connect right to the wheel and it's direct drive and it's going to be so efficient. <laughs> what Cummins and Volvo and these people in the electric trucks, they're, they're needing transmissions. They're, uh, Cummins, uh, they're saying they're putting a four speed behind their electric motors. Volvo here in the States is doing a two speed and, and a mm-hmm. two speed electrified rear axle in Europe I understand they've got an actual 12 speed I shift hooked up to an electric motor and they're running around <laughs> doing some things so just like the internal combustion engines that have happy spots so do electric motors oh yeah and uh, gearing they're finding out is beneficial and it's not most likely just going to be this big honking electric motor directly hooked to a tire and off you go I, I don't think it's going to pan out that way no, if you look at the load curve on the, you know, which would be like the torque curve on your on, on your diesel engine, it's, you know, at, at max torque, you're going to have the max load. And if you could keep that torque down, you know, like the 12-speed to me is, is a brilliant idea. Uh, but again, now you've got now you've got parasitic loss through a driveline, right? That's right. But, uh, but, but, but think about it this way. We've spent how many years building transmissions? Now we're getting pretty damn good at building efficient transmissions. And so, yeah, there's a lot of ways of looking at this. It's, it's interesting. I mean, we could, we can probably go back and forth to the sunsets on, you know, which, what's the better way to do this. But I just thought it was interesting that, you know, all these truck manufacturers that originally it was all about this direct drive and simplicity, they all have cooling systems now and they're all going through transmissions for the most part now. So yeah. it's not a whole lot different <laughs> than your internal combustion engines. Yeah. So, uh, it, we'll back to our, our fellow who called about the, uh, um, the APU or so some, somehow to stay cool. Uh, you know, Joel, you've got a really cool high tech system on your truck. You know, it's not expensive. Kevin, you remember Don Hoffman and Don and Lynn had a really neat system. He had like six or eight uh, auto parts, uh, batteries, the deep cycle. I think he was using Optimus. And he modeled on a trailer. He has his own trailer. And he got a nice big inverter from somewhere. And he got a household-type air conditioner with a, with an outdoor condenser with a tiny little condenser he hung on the back. I think it was actually, I think it might have even been a heat pump. I'm not sure if he heated it and cooled. But uh, regardless, it... Uh, you know, he could do his reset, and this was five years ago. You know, he, he in the heat, heat in Arizona. He said, "I could do my, I could do my whole weekend." Um, you know, I, I think he fired up once for a few hours, and that was it to, to, to top up the batteries. And you know, so it's it's not a hard thing to do if you're crafty. I mean, it really, really, really wouldn't be difficult at all. Yeah, that was kind of my yeah, point. If, that if it's, you're, uh, it's not plug and play yet. It, it requires some, you know, some thought and some. Uh, fabricating and and I just had a thought as you were talking about that um, why doesn't somebody design a cool little mini split system for a truck I mean I've got mini splits in in my house that are so much more efficient I absolutely love them well, that's what he had Oh, yeah, okay. like mini yeah. Stuff, you know, with the outdoor condenser, the tiny little condenser. It was a little, I think it was a Samsung. It was a really inexpensive, you know, 1500 bucks or something. And yeah, it's just, it's just the, the model was on the back of his cab and he had his bank of uh, Optima batteries and it, it worked. <laughs> it worked yeah. well. Yeah. And, 
and essentially you, you could go buy a new Freightliner or a new Volvo and they offer that right from the factory, all mounted, plumbed, everything taken care of with the batteries and the appropriate sized alternator. Um, we're to the point now where they, the truck can go to what they call the mod center after it comes out of the factory and they can have the actual solar installed at the mod center. Um, they're not putting solar on running down the assembly lines yet. I think that's coming, you know, uh, fairly quickly because I think people are really starting to see the benefits of it. And I, I think we're going to start to see actual body panels on the truck molded to accept a panel that will set down in flush. Um, so we don't get any more aerodynamic drag off them right now. We get a little bit of drag on them. So if we could flush mount the panels and they have, you know, solid connectors where you just kind of, a, you pull a panel out. If it's damaged for whatever reason, you just snap one in and it plugs right into the electrical system. I think all that stuff is coming, you know, relatively quickly. Um, you can get, you know, 85% of the system, I would say you could order from the factory and it's going to be built going right down the line, the big alternators, the extra batteries with the boxes, the appropriate size wiring. Um, and basically you're just sticking the solar on after they, they put their factory designed air conditioning, uh, systems on. Nice. Nice. And then the other thing that that does, I mean, if we have enough battery, enough inverter, enough alternator to run, AC, you know, over a 34, and you don't always need that. There's a big chunk of the year where you're not running air conditioning all that often. You've now got more than enough hotel load for everything else you want to do. Yeah, that's what's great about ours. The drivers really like the system. They can pretty much, they can throw a party in the cab if they want to under downtime. There is enough power to do whatever they want to do. Um, and even my guys that take 34s and even when I take 34s, uh, when I don't get hotel room, um, it, it's, it's pretty easy to, um, use your head a little bit. Uh, you know, typically if I take a 34, I'm going to want to find a Walmart or something to go buy groceries or whatnot. Like I said, I may drive a few extra miles just to get the charge back in the batteries. There is an auto stop start function that monitors all the batteries in the truck. And if it gets to a critical point, it starts, it runs for two hours and 22 minutes, shuts off. Um, everything's predetermined. It, it looks at all those things. Uh, so the, the system's pretty much full, foolproof. Um, a few years back, you know, just before my surgery, when I was running, um, I was down around five and a half percent total idle time taking 34s on the road. And that included, you know, the deep South, out West, Arizona, Southern California, Alabama, Georgia, uh, Florida. Um, I had no problem, um, with it at all. Hey, I just thought about something. Do Does your system or any of these OEM systems, is anybody including like a 30-amp shore power connection? Yeah, they, they all have the shore power connection to charge batteries and whatnot. So, yep, so if you can get to some place, you can just plug it right in. Yep. Well, uh, you know, like your Absolutely. scenario of, you know, you have customers where you can drop your trailer, which is awesome. That's not that hard to arrange most times. Um, why not mm -hmm. run to an RV park? I probably could. Um, a lot of it, I guess, just depends on, you know, the proximity and if you can get in and out. But, yeah, it wouldn't be out of the question, that's for sure. Um, there's some things that I'd like to do. I'm out here in West Texas. There's an observatory I'd like to go to, and I actually kind of thought about that. 
maybe if I can find an RV park that's close to this place, I may try try and do that. Then yeah, I could plug the truck in and just run it nonstop, all the electric in it. Absolutely. Yeah, pull into an RV park. You've got water right there. You've got 30 amp shore power, which does an awesome job of recharging your batteries and provide you with all the power you need while you're there. Um, you know, the, the smaller places that aren't like full-blown resorts, they're usually right off the interstate. They're those typical places where you do a lot of overnights. You just pull in, you hook up, you'd probably leave the next day. Um, they're pretty cheap. Um, you know, the... the mm-hmm state park that i just spent a lot of time in when i was in ohio um their winter rate which you know was still going on just recently um was like 27 dollars a night and that's all your electric mm. uh, they didn't have water and sewer at the site they turn it off in the winter time but um a, a beautiful place to park and, and clearly if i can get in there with a 45 foot coach pulling in with the bobtail is easy I mean, it, it's you with a bobtail, you fit in almost every spot they have. Uh, and I've always been surprised that I don't see more trucks in some of these places, especially the ones right off the interstate. But people haven't had those hookups to be able to take advantage of that. But if you've got a if you've got all this solar, these batteries to have just a 30 amp because every RV park has 30 amp and 30 amp quite a bit of power. I mean, hey, I can run my whole coach off 30 amp. The only thing I can't do is run two air conditioners at the same time. I just end up pulling way too much power. Um, but if I don't need, and I've got three, but if I don't need to, if it's not a really hot day, I can get by with 30 amp. And it, certainly everything gotcha. you would do in a tractor, 30 amp would be plenty. And then, then we One should... If we see enough of this on mm-hmm. the trucks, then maybe we'll start to see 30 amp hookups right in truck stops. Well, I think what we're going to start seeing in trucks, and I may have this on my truck that I sent back down to Volvo to have it retrofitted to get some pre-production stuff going for to do some testing. Uh, that truck, I believe, is going to come back to me as a 24-volt system. Oh, wow. So that that that's going to make a difference on how long your air conditioning lasts. And you know, you know what I mean? So I would expect things are going to get a lot better. I'm not sure, but they were talking about doing it on the the brand new truck that they're building me to. I, I don't know if that happened or not. I need to find out. But uh, yeah, that 24 volts got me kind of excited, too, is in yeah. terms of the electric, you know, the APU and whatnot. So, All yeah, right. cool stuff. Hey, Man, I wasn't paying attention, but uh, we just got flooded with phone calls, so we better go talk to people. Um, oh, we have a celebrity joining us from Minnesota. Steve Crone, welcome. Oh, what's going on? Oh, well, good afternoon. <laughs> Say, Kevin, they don't let trucks in the RV parks because, you know, dirty old trucks, they leak oil all over, and they don't like to get oil all over in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and none of those RVs ever leak oil, right? Yeah, yeah. No, no, they never do. No. no I just had to give you a little poke there. Well, you've been talking <laughs> about stuff that I'm really interested in. And you, uh, this 24-volt thing, I I think I might uh, have a uh, bank of 24-volt and uh, put in a big old alternator like uh, John, you and I were talking about. Yeah. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get rid of the rest of the fan hub. Took the fan and the clutch fan uh, or the 
sand clutch out and uh, get rid of the hub and run directly to the uh, crankshaft there and then uh, have a big alternator and uh, charge it when I'm slowing down. So a little regenerative braking, you know, and eliminate <laughs> the uh, the drag of charging it when you need power. So we'll see how that works. Uh, you could you could just put a little uh, switch on the field wire for when the uh, yep. if the jake if the jakes are on or, or the brake lights are on. It's got yep. that thing going. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Unfortunately, my jake's not working now. That's what got me thinking about it. You know, I need drag from somewhere. So instead of fixing that, let me let me do this. You know. <laughs> Anyways, the, the reason I'm calling, uh, uh, John, you and I were talking about the, the Henriksen axle. Now I got both of you guys in the, in the same place here. Uh, the most beautiful axle, trailer axle, uh, uh, disc brakes uh, with the chamber on top of the axle. Nothing's exposed underneath. And even if you wouldn't put axle diffusers on, which I've been doing here, um, it, it would. The more you fill up above the axle, the less chance there is uh, the air is going to want to go there. It's going to want to go underneath, and and then you add uh, axle diffusers under there. It'd be beautiful. Uh, you could have the axle diffusers the whole width of the axle, and uh, without the suspension and brakes getting in the way. And I, I forget the. Uh, uh, terminal or the actual name of the axle uh but it's called the chamber up and they're they're gonna disband the uh the project and i'd like to save it so i'm thinking <laughs> maybe joel if you could contact somebody else, i, I wonder about this joel <laughs> you could talk to it's like because you, you know you could maybe work with strict and you know that they're disbanding a project because Nobody's interested, you know, because, uh, you know, like utility, you know, they'll only use this axle and that axle. They don't want anything new. They they got to test things for years, you know, and they don't want to have anything new. And, uh, and now everybody's building as many trailers with what they have, and they don't want to do anything new. So they, they were going to disband it. But I, I think in a demonstration trailer, it'd be a, a wonderful application here. So. And I've got a guy that's probably on and yeah, I've got a guy that's probably geekier than all of us combined that works for Strict, and um, I will get with him and see if we can all have a conversation about this because I'm sure he'd be all over the stuff, and and he's high enough up the pecking order where um, he may uh, be able to to do what you're talking about. So let, let me uh, make a couple phone calls and see what I can figure out. So, well, I want to throw well, a wrench John, into John the could, right now. Um, Joel, okay. you might have another another option. The company that you sent me that link from, the Australian mm-hmm. folks, they make a mm-hmm. trailer axle with killer disc mm-hmm. brakes and lightweight aluminum hubs, and guess where all the stuff's mounted? On top. <laughs> On top. Nice. Top, yeah, it's a really nice looking piece. Um, says it's designed and developed in Germany. I guess they have a parent company there or something. But yeah, regardless, uh, yeah, it really, really looks cool. Um, yeah, I think this company's yeah. involved pretty heavily in like defense and stuff as well. So it wouldn't surprise me if they have some some pretty high tech 
you know, axle technology and braking technology going on. It was, it's, uh, this is going to be pretty cool to get some people over here that we can work with them. So maybe we'll all get together when we get this guy over here and, yeah, and see what we can figure out. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, so like, if Hendrickson is if Hendrickson's the, not interested, these guys might be. Is my point. So yeah, if Steve wants to do a project, this could, or you know, we'll just build our own. That could I'd, happen. I'd like to see the money stay close to home, you know. So, <laughs> uh, but anyways, I I think it's important. I you know I've been working on uh, moving air underneath the axles in the back of the trailer, and uh, it's it, it does work. Uh, and it's kind of amazing, and uh, you'll be happy to know that the one test guy I got other, out there, other than myself, is uh, driving a Volvo. So you know, um, <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, we can fix you up. I can get you into. I, I can get you into a Volvo if you want to retire the old International anytime soon. <laughs> well, I I got to finish the trailer first because I don't want to. I don't want to switch the. Uh, test platform you know well, you can't it, it's everything's you know you know so i it's not going to be that much longer and i'll have everything done then but of course then i buy a new one then i'm going to have to put belly pants on and do all kinds of arrow and you know i'm getting old you know I, I, you know i don't know if i want that much of a project but well if you're going to retire that it would international be, it would be fun to, if you're going to retire that international we have to find a museum for it someplace <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but I, a lot of people, I want you buy new, you know, and I, I could afford to do it, but I, I just don't, I just don't want to switch the platform right now. It'll mess all the numbers up, you know. So, like my test guy there, he he had to go get uh, uh, camera mirrors, you know. So it's oh, you know, why didn't you wait a little longer? But. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he's been waiting. He's been waiting a long time. So, and I, I've been thinking about that on my uh, John. I you asked me if when I'm going to do it, and I said, "Well, when I'm done with everything else." But uh, I, I think it's it's a bigger deal on the new trucks because uh, you know on my truck it's got kind of a bump. You know, it's pretty big bump out when you get to the uh, sleeper, and all the new trucks there's almost nothing. You know, and uh, I think not having a mirror on there uh, helps. What I'm finding... It doesn't bump, it helps more. Well, so I'll I'll play play devil's advocate here. You can build some sort of deflector to help the air around that bump and put the camera mirror on. So you do like some sort of uh, turning vein that that, that smooths that all out and and, and keeps you from creating a turbulence in front of that bump on the cab instead of a mirror, and then you do the cameras. So that's 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 where I'm going to go with that. Yeah, well, I, I I had actually thought about if I if I really really had a lot of time on my hands is to tweak the cab out. You know, it'd be a lot of work, but uh, you know, angle the doors out and and meet that. You know, but holy cow! Yeah, that sounds like some serious fabrication <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah, probably more difficult than than uh, doing the fenders and the bumper, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Steve, we're we're gonna cut you loose because the calls just keep piling up on us. I don't know why everybody decided to call now, but I want to get to a bunch. We're gonna go to Indiana, James. Welcome to the program. Hey, gentlemen, how are you? Good. What's on your mind today? Uh, um, 
I guess my question is on these electric electric trucks that are coming out. Um, are the regenerative brakes enough to substitute for a Jake when you're going down a grade? Uh, or my, how are they going to accomplish that without an engine? My understanding of it is that they could be even more powerful if they wanted them to be, couldn't they, John? Oh, absolutely. And, and that's not even new technology. Remember, there were those, I remember when I lived in Colorado back in the 90s, there were the trucks that ran heavy in the mountains had these uh, eddy current brakes on them or nothing but big generators, shall we say, on the axle that could uh, slow the truck down and stop it. So, yeah, it should not be a problem, you know, reversing the field or whatever on the motor to turn it into a generator and make it actually uh, a, a probably way stronger than Jake. Yeah, that's, okay. that's exactly right. Uh, in Europe, the trucks over there that are on grade more often and steeper grades, they all have those electromagnetic retarders on them that, uh, that give you more power than an actual engine brake. So, yeah, absolutely. It's so, so it's possible for sure. Got it. And there's no concern with those things uh, overheating on a long uh, grade? Um, I imagine so. <laughs> well, I... <laughs> have to regulate it somehow. Yeah, it's, uh, they could get hot. Uh, you know, if you're generating that, that, that kind of uh, energy, it's for sure. Uh, you've got a battery to absorb it, obviously, in this, which is, should help. But uh, I'm sure they'll be temperature regulated and some sort of cooling system on them and so forth to keep that from happening yeah i think that the difference here is that you know joel's already talked about the oems are finding they have to put cooling systems into these and the cooling system is going to act on the electric motor which also becomes your brake so you've already got a built-in cooling system for it which even though we know brakes get hot and catch on fire and kill people, it was never worth it to try to put in some sort of auxiliary cooling system for brakes. So now you're, you're already going to have a cooling system on that assembly. So really, it, it should be an easier problem to take care of on an electric vehicle. That makes sense. And if you don't mind, I, I have some uh, sort of a follow-up from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, either John or Joel mentioned something about Flow below's not necessarily working so well in the Eastern 38 because of the slower mm-hmm. speeds. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? I mean, I understand well, it's, it's not, the, the physics, but yeah, it, it's, it's the not ROI, just the slower like, speeds. You got a you, you got a combination of things working there. Out west, it's kind of more wide open, and and your frequency of catching broadside wind goes up. Um, the number of windy days increases as you get west of the Mississippi. Um, you do have slower speeds. You're in traffic more often. You've got a lot more stuff blocking wind east. Uh, the ROI for us in every application is going to be different. So what, what works for me or what my numbers are, it doesn't necessarily mean that's what everybody else is going to be. Um, we have a very difficult time getting an ROI on it. Um, on the flow below in a fleet setting. Um, they tend to loosen up and the pieces will fall off on occasion. And when you have to buy pieces to replace them, or if you have a blowout and it knocks them off and bends a bracket and then the truck is stranded on the side of the road till somebody comes to take that bracket off before it can move again, it becomes problematic in a fleet situation for an owner operator. I'm hoping that, you know, you're doing better pre-trip inspections than the, the typical company driver. So shouldn't probably see that issue as often. So you'd probably, 
probably get a payback. I, I just don't think on the Eastern half of the country, it's going to be stellar. Um, it, I, I would have it just because it helps to knock down the, the spray off the side of the road. And so your visibility, you know, when it's raining, uh, the road spray, it helps knock that down. Your visibility is much better. Just that alone. I would put it on personally. Um, if you're a careful driver and you take care of your truck, you're going to get an ROI. It's just, it's pretty much impossible for me to tell you how fast it's going to be. Uh, I think they're saying like 2%, something like that. Um, I always cut the estimations in half and then work off that number. You know, Joel, this is similar to, we can go back a decade plus when they first started the OEMs first started offering tank and side skirts and clearly Mm -hmm. there was a a significant aerodynamic advantage there was a fuel savings but after about five or six years of having them on the market where everybody was running them you started seeing fleets stop specking them and it turns out that maintenance costs yeah, when they did the math with a bunch of company drivers just coming out of school, that first off, the, yeah. the initial cost was expensive, several thousand dollars. And then the annual cost was into the thousands because they banged them up so much. That This is the exact struggle my brother has. If you look at the pictures of one of his new trucks, it has a chassis fairing, but it does not have the ground effects. It has the cab extenders, but it does not have the top wing. And when you look at the front bumper, it doesn't have the little air dam underneath that helps direct the wind because uh, they knock them off faster than you can keep them on the truck. And there is absolutely no way in our case that we can even begin to make a case for that type of stuff. It gets knocked off so fast. Does it all work? It absolutely works. There's no doubt. And as an owner operator or an individual, you know, truck owner, absolutely get all that stuff. But for a fleet, it's almost impossible to make that stuff work. Even at $6 a gallon fuel, it's, it's it's impossible to make that stuff work. So yeah. Yep. So one of the big advantages we have as owner operators (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, this is a good time to point that out because, you know, we started off the show talking about the big fleets right now aren't worried about this. They're they're in good shape. They think they're fine. Um, And I've had the question many times over the years. Well, how do we compete with the big fleets with their costs? And I don't you don't compete head to head with them and certainly don't do what they do. Do what they can't do. (laughs) Yeah, they're banking on our lack of knowledge that they're going to wash out fast. That's they're 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 banking on that that these guys are going to continue to drive fast and it's going to wash them out and then they're going to come in behind you with their slow truck and you know take up market share. And they are absolutely banking on that happening. And there's two advantages to this people don't even think about. Not only when an owner operator loses his truck and his business, not only did they just get rid of some of the competition, they're probably going to pick him up as a company driver, which they need. Yeah, yeah. I, I, this is why I, I, I think there's some confidence among the bigger fleets. They're kind of waiting on this. Uh, they, they're not looking at this as problematic as we are, especially as you are, Kevin. You you see what it's going to do to owner-operators when these guys just absolutely refuse to slow down. I mean, it, it just... Uh, it, it's horrible, but it, it is what it is. And yep. the big fleets are banking on this happening. Uh, absolutely. 
I agree. Let's go to Louisiana. Keith, welcome to the program. Oh, no, looks like that call just dropped. Let's go to uh, BC. Murray, welcome to the program. Morning, gentlemen. Good to hear your conversation. Enjoying it. Uh, you sort of kind of answered my question already with the last call. Um, here in on the north side of the border, we have to inspect our trucks semi-annually. I have tank skirts on my truck, 2000 International, uh, two-story with all the fairings and all the everything on it. Um, right now, I run in town. Okay, I, let me back up for a second. So I bought this truck, and one of the panels on, on the skirts has, looks like a shark took a bite out of it. And I bought it that way thinking, no problem, I'll just find a wrecker and replace it. And that's been more of a challenge than I expected. But when we inspect our trucks every year, every time I take it in for inspection, the mechanic looks at me and says, you know, that's a fail. We're, we're technically supposed to fail, but we'll pass it. And if you ever get pulled over, it's like, oh, it just happened, right? Okay, okay, fine. So I've been thinking, I, I, I got to do something about it. Either replace it or take the skirts off and put quarter fenders up front and just expose the sides. If I buy that panel new, that's fifty nine hundred dollars for one oh, panel. Wow. I just about I just about died when he told me that. Fifty nine hundred used five thousand nine hundred Canadian to replace the one front panel on the passenger side. I kid you not. Holy that doesn't even include the aluminum steps. So that which that is that on the, on a Volvo? No, uh, international two thousand international. Oh, okay, all right. Wow. wow. So, yeah, that's to buy new. Okay. But I'm having, so I, I thought, okay, I'll look around. There's wreckers around. But like you were just saying a few minutes ago, all that stuff is wrecked. <laughs> like, it's hard to find a good straight panel, one that matches and has the same lines. So I thought, okay, I run around in town. My average speed is under 40 miles an hour on over Eight a 30 off. day average. Okay, so if I take it all off, it'll cost me $1,800 to convert it to quarter fenders with exposed tanks. But, and here's the caveat, I've been offered a job going back on the highway, mm-hmm. which means, okay, so how much, if, but how much would I lose if I converted to bare, bare skirt or bare sides? The- What's it worth? The, the biggest number I've heard is the best design skirts are about three to four tenths. Right, three tenths so, is what I was going to tell you. So if, if I were to shoot high and say half mile per gallon, um, it would take a long time to pay for a $5,900 panel. Yeah, and I... Well, I, I a, half mile a ga- well, well, a half mile a gallon in today's numbers... Um, what are we talking? We're, we're what? It's around what? Five thousand dollars a year? Five to six thousand dollars a year. So technically, yeah, if yeah. we thought the number was a, a half mile per gallon, we could make an argument that it makes sense. But that's really overly optimistic, in my opinion. Right. Yeah, but you guys are forgetting. I'm on the north side of the border where we're paying twelve dollars a gallon. Well, that's true. That that's that's, that's true. Yeah. So, you know, this yeah. is where it. It starts to get interesting. When I heard six thousand for one panel, it used to be thirty five hundred bucks to do the whole set. 
6000 for right. one panel sounds outrageous, but so is $6 a gallon for fuel. Yeah. Yeah. I well, mean, we're paying you two, guys have, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go tinker mode here, but uh, you guys have West Marine up there, right? Company that sells both parts and things. Uh, it sounds they, familiar. They, yeah. They, they have fiberglass and resin. So you go, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and it's really not hard. And so you go, you go get your epoxy resident hardener and a couple of sheets of a nicely woven fiberglass. I like, I like the, the tight weave rather than the loose, uh, get some flashing from home Depot, polish it up with some car wax, uh, lay it on the, what you want to be the smooth side where this missing piece is and start laying glass in it till you build it back into place. And, uh, some paint on it and it'll look just fine and it'll work again but right now with a big chunk taken out of it, it's probably causing more drag than it has helped so yeah well it would, it, uh, it's it's actually not that big a chunk but it's right at the front corner it's kind of ugly and so it, it sort of and that's and, and what i'm what i i'm not worried about that little tiny bit that i may or may not be losing what what right. i'm concerned about is that i get pulled over on a roadside and they say oh you have a chunk missing out of your panel you're hey well, if well we're, make a new chunk man if, or, or get a craft one that's crashed where yours isn't and grab the piece onto it well if, um, yeah if, well and, and that's i've been looking for that and trying to find a decent used one off a wreck 25 years 22 years old is is yeah proving to be quite challenging if we're getting <laughs> sure yeah if we're getting out fiberglass and fabricating, maybe you can just fix the one you have. That's what I'm saying. Just fix the one you got. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Was, my, that yeah. was my thought. Yeah, just fix it. Yeah. Or you got a decent body man around or a kid who likes to tinker with that stuff. You could go oh, travel right. to Wisconsin and go see Steve Crone. It, 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 there you go. That right up there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have thought about bobtailing to Pittsburgh to have them give this the once over, but Maybe I stop at Wisconsin on the way by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> I mean, your 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 fellow uh, international driver, man, it, he'll be all about that. And then, then he'll be grafting Mac fenders onto it like his truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right, there there you go. We got we got to move on. The calls just keep piling up on us here, which is awesome. I love it. Keep them coming. Let's go to Kentucky. Dwayne, welcome to the program. Yeah, how's it going? Um, the guy up there in Minnesota up there, uh, he said something about angling his doors out to get more aerodynamic. Uh, the Mac, uh, Mac Interstellar Sleepers did that way back in 1954. He's good for catching bees and bugs, too, so <laughs> through the windows. Um, they done that, they done that a long time ago. Um, I'm calling about, uh, uh, you talking about the mini splits and stuff. Uh, I follow a lot of uh, full-time RVers, which is what I hope to be doing uh, in a couple of years here when I get off the road. Um, uh, a lot of RVers now are using the, the small mini-split systems that's run on 110 volts, and they got a battery and, and, and solar and stuff. The battery run them overnight a lot of times. Now, these mini-splits, my understanding, and for what I've done, I, I, I have to go back and look at the numbers. I think at full load... The mini splits only pull five to six amps. It might be a little more than that, but it, it don't pull nothing like what your rooftop unit would be on a cell on, on an RV. And they're mounting these either on the bumper on the back or on the fifth wheel on the front. Or uh, I've seen some uh, some uh, coaches, uh, you know, like what you got, Kevin, uh, somewhere you know that that style that they're actually mounting them in the side in a compartment and putting in a, uh, a vent in the in the wind in the you know down in the floor and out through the sidewall. Uh, through the side door and uh, having, a, having a lot of luck with that. 
Yeah, I, I would have to think that a good mini split is way more efficient. Those rooftop air conditioners, I, I'm, I replaced one of them a couple years ago, and I need to replace two now. And I started thinking about alternatives, because I swear those are some of the most inefficient units ever, even the newest ones. They pull so much power. What? Like I said, if, if, if I'm not careful at even... At least 13 amps. They take at least 13 amps. Yeah, even yeah. on a, I, I've got a big generator, a big cat generator, and there are times where if I flip all three of them on, I keep popping the main breaker on the generator itself. Yeah, well, a lot of, what, the, what the, these the RVs are doing, they're taking cabinets on the inside for the inside unit, um, for the inside unit, and they'll go ahead and replace that, then go ahead and take a cabinet and wrap around it then. I still got the airflow and everything like that, but they're, or, or put them in place with some cabinets, or they might put them in some place where it's easy to get to. And they have a lot of it is, is uh, already have the, uh, the the you do it yourself. You don't have the the, the line is already pre charged. The unit's already pre charged. Uh, you do it all yourself. Yeah, I might. So, and, I, and, and I'm I'm, just, I'm, I'm considering for mine. I might look into that because another advantage for me is if I pull three air conditioning units off the top, I open up an awful lot of room for solar. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, the, one, the one that comes to mind, a lot of people are using is something called Mr. Cool, and I've seen them priced anywhere from the high 8s to the low uh, 1200s. Huh, okay. You know, for, for, for a, a 110-volt system now. Now, now if you've got 220-volt available, then I guess you could do that on your on your on your bigger coaches and stuff like I don't know what your bigger coach you got, uh, but uh, they make them a, a couple of sizes in in one ten, hundred ten volts. Yeah, I'm thinking they only pull five or six amps. I, I'm almost thinking now. What if I take all three rooftop air conditioners off, go to mini splits, and I'll find room for them somewhere. Shouldn't be hard. Then I could put two. I wouldn't even need two. One Tesla wall battery, which I can still solar. put solar over top of. Right. Well, you still got to go and find some place to put your outside unit. You know, it's, right. it's a small, it's a relatively small unit. If you look into it, you'll see what I'm talking about for the spacing. But you had to find some place to mount those outside units. Well, actually, I've got. That depends how much you want to cut your cut your rig up. <laughs> Well, I've got several compartments. I have tons of storage underneath, but I have several compartments that aren't necessarily designed for storage that I could fabricate a unit like that in without losing any storage yep, space. Right in there. Yeah, lose yeah, yeah, but you've got to have plenty of ventilation, though, what you've got to have, though. Yeah, that shouldn't that. be hard. I mean, I could down, you know, it's going to go into one of the lowers. I could put uh, some directional airflow from underneath right up into that compartment. Yeah, yeah, but uh, our our seal, so it has to come in the in one side and go out the other side like that. You know, use your own use your own uh, 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 rig something up. You know, I, I yeah. use that there loosely rig something up for it. You know, so <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, uh, but I, I just thought I'd bring that out like that. But I'm I'm definitely definitely considering that for sure. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm uh, uh, that's <clears throat> I, I, you know, like I said, I. I I really wanted to just throw some deep cycle batteries in this last trip. It would have made things a lot easier, but I, I, I didn't want to rush anything because I really, I am considering converting this whole thing over and using a, like a Tesla wall battery or whatever else might be out there now. 
Uh, and if I'm going to go that route, then I might as well look at the air conditioners and open up that whole top. That's, uh, that might be an interesting project. Let's grab another call. Let's go to New Jersey. Joe, welcome to the program. Oh, that call doesn't want to seem to pick up. Let me try that one again. Let me refresh here. We had a ton of calls, and then we lost a couple. Might be on my end. My um, my internet seems to be having an issue. Am I still broadcasting, Aaron? If you're, oh, I got you. Yeah, my phone's fine, but uh, my internet seems to have tanked on me here. Um, I can't get back to my calls, so I'm wondering if I'm actually still broadcasting. If I lose internet. Uh, you and I can talk, but nobody's going to be hearing us. Okay. Let me, f- oh, there we go. All right, we got it back now. Let me try that again. Let's, uh, let me try that now. There we go. Joe in New Jersey, are you I'm, there this time? I'm here. All right, good. Good, go I'm ahead. I'm here, I heard the beat. All right. Okay, so I got a few items. Uh, first thing is, uh, I've got a Volvo, 2010 Volvo, and I've got uh, I, my sending unit for the fuel tank stopped functioning, and then also the temperature sensor for the atmosphere outside under the hood isn't functioning properly. And I replaced both sensors, and they're still not working right. So I was wondering, uh, where would the grounds be? Is there grounding areas on the truck that I should be looking to clean and could it be that like my my outside temperature while I'm driving will tell me it's 30 degrees below zero when it's 50 degrees out uh so it's not functioning it's almost like it's going backwards which makes me think maybe it's not grounded right and the same thing with the sending unit for the fuel tank that's a possibility, um, and I don't know specifically where the grounds are on that truck, but you'll want to find them and you want to check it. The other thing that Volvo is very famous for, um, two things. Uh, if you have the battery disconnect switch in that truck, um, yeah, the brand that Volvo uses fails on a very, very regular basis, and it just gives you all these goofy codes and electrical issues that nobody can figure out. Um, it's to the point where when we spec a new truck, we delete the battery disconnect switch. We won't even spec them. Yeah, and if we have an older truck in the fleet, we just wire right around it and we get rid of that battery disconnect switch. We have solar on everything. We don't need it. So we get rid of it. Um, the yeah, other thing is before I bought it. Okay. Sure. The other okay. issue that we find um, if you have the battery, um, nuts that are like plastic coated, um, we swap all those out. We put the stainless steel battery nuts on them straight up. I don't know. They strip out in there and they get loose connections and you don't read They're just a pain in the ass. Um, those are the first couple of things we get rid of. And that eliminates a lot of the, the, the ghost issues, electrical that Volvo's kind of famous for. Um, so if you have those two things already done, uh, definitely check your rounds out. And, uh, you know, from there, I'm not an electrical engineer. John may have a little more insight, uh, going from there. 
to, uh, to point you in a direction where to look. So if I, I would do took the ground. I'll go ahead. I'm sorry, John. If I if I ran a ground wire from the frame just to the negative side of the batteries, do you think that might help? Is that how people add grounds, or do they add it elsewhere? redundant grounds rarely don't hurt, but it means there's a problem somewhere else. And with both right. of these okay. sensors, you want to do the old classic short it or open it thing. So if you have access, I mean, even if you could just watch that outside air temperature, have someone sit in the cab of the truck, um, unplug the sensor that's there and see if the, the value changes or short it out and see if the value changes. You're not going to hurt anything by doing that. But if the value changes, then you know everything inside is okay, and it may just be a sensor. Uh, on the fuel, if it's a one-wire fuel sensor, I'm not sure how they are in 2010 or would have been in 2010. You just literally take the wire off of it and run a jumper to ground, and it should spike your fuel gauge or dip your fuel gauge, depending on which way it goes. Uh, that's that's a real quick way to test. Uh, you know, Or you know, if it is a ground issue, take it to a known good ground, and all of a sudden it works. All you'd have to do is, is jump that and have someone watch the gauge while you do it. Uh, it'd be easier if you had uh, you know some sort of scan tool or something on it and watch those exact values while that was going on. I think the scan gauge would even do it. So well, it, in 2010, those sensors wouldn't be on a CAN network, would they? They'd still be standard. Uh, yeah, probably standard. I was, I was okay. trying to think back, and I honestly, yeah. I, I don't remember. Yeah, it's, it's getting old, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so if, they, if they're on a CAN network, that all goes out the window, but I'm pretty sure that's old enough that, that, that they wouldn't be. Um, yeah, so you know, I, I replaced both. I replaced right. both sensors, and like, well, sometimes in the morning when I start up, the temperature sensor doesn't even come off; it's just right. empty, no numbers. Okay. And then maybe an hour later, it'll start to function, but it's functioning like backwards. Um, and if I unplug it, see, my my real concern is that that temperature gauge controls the air conditioning. I believe. I don't think the air conditioning will come on on the truck if that sensor is reading like 30 below zero. Oh, that outside air temperature, uh, even in 2020, air air temperature temperature is a really important, a really, really important sensor. There's a whole lot of things that are controlled by that. So, yeah, you need that. That's one, you know, the the fuel gauge you can kind of live without, but the... uh, the outside air temp is, is really important. Yeah, you should uh, definitely get that one sorted out. So at that point, you have to go, you know, find the pinouts and go through the connections or, like I said, go or just head to Pittsburgh and let Ethan and Leroy suss it out for you. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there are some simple things you can do. You know, with a standard bolt meter uh, and a jumper wire, you, you should be able to tell whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's an open circuit or a closed circuit or, or, or short, you know, should be able to figure that out for yourself uh, and go from there. Again, that, that so that temp sensor should be a two-wire sensor. Who knows where the ground is back in the harness for that. So you really couldn't even run a ground to the body of the sensor and make that work. It's, it's what they call a thermistor. So it, it changes resistance based upon temperature, obviously, and you've got two wires there. So there's a reference voltage that goes to it. And then it goes through the resistor and there's a voltage that sends back to the ECU and that, that puts the temperature on your dash and tells it a whole bunch of other stuff. So yeah, you're going to need to do that. But yeah, like I said, the real quick, the real quick thing to do would be to take it apart and put a jumper wire on it and see if the temperature jumps or, or drops. And you could yeah. just, uh, okay. figure that out. So uh, yeah, but you know, these could be, I've got, I'll oh, go ahead. 
I've got two other items for you. Uh, Joel, you were talking about the big alternator for all those batteries on your system. Um, mm -hmm. I had thought about building a system like that about eight years ago, and people always said, oh, no, batteries will never work. But I thought about back then, if I was to do it, if I had eight batteries, I thought I would have them separated so that four would be for the truck, four would be for the unit, and after I started the truck in the morning and got on the highway, you'd flip the switch to charge uh, the auxiliary battery. Well, you are thinking exactly like the Volvo engineers. That's how our system is set up. It's just automatic. There's no sw uh, switch to flip. Um, if it's below a certain point, it will all charge as a group, and then they'll disconnect, and they'll run. Uh, they'll get four running the air conditioner, and then four running the hotel load and, and starting the truck. So you're, you're exactly on the right path. But I was thinking, though, you wouldn't need the bigger alternator, though, still, would you? No, you, you absolutely have to have that big alternator. We've tried it okay. years ago. The small alternators does not work. You burn up alternators, and you will not keep the batteries. It, it'll seem like it's working. What happens is um, you're only kind of putting a surface charge into those batteries. Unless you're driving 11 hours every day, day in and day out, those smaller alternators will not work. Uh, we found that it takes at least 320 for, you know, your typical operation to, to charge eight batteries um, correctly. Uh, where we were having problems, the guys would, uh, uh, like, they'd pick up, they, they'd run all week, they'd pick up on the East Coast, they would deliver in Cleveland, they would set all night in Cleveland with a hotel load, and then they'd get up and it'd come 60 miles back home and then the truck would set over the weekend and in that 60 miles the small alternator could not charge all eight batteries and then you know you get into that situation you're setting over the weekend with a draw and this is before we had salt it just turned into a nightmare you were eating up batteries you were eating up alternators nothing worked so you definitely need that big alternator you need the appropriate size wires for that alternator to charge the batteries and whatnot so your resistance isn't crazy in there um and you you absolutely have to put solar with this to make it work hey joel i'm i'm wondering as we're looking at these different battery battery configurations and you know we've always done typically on a truck four group 31 batteries and sometimes i think we do that just because we've always done that um, I look at my coach setup mm -hmm. and I wonder, you know, I have the same basic engine, a 13 liter diesel engine. And I have another question before I ask this question. Does anybody know who came up with this naming scheme for batteries? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> absolutely no sense to me. I think we call the truck, the typical class A truck battery, a group 31, right? Does that sound right? Right, right. It, but then I have batteries in my coach for the starter. They're just there to start the truck. They're not house batteries. They don't cross over. Um, I can jump start from my house batteries to my starter batteries with just a switch at the driver's seat. But so they call those group 31. Then instead of four of those, I have two starter batteries, but they're called 8D. I, what, how does the hell does that make any sense? I mean, what group 31 and 8D, but why don't we do two big batteries instead of four small batteries? 
I yeah, that I couldn't answer. I think a lot of it has to do with, like you said, it's the way it's always been done. And so if we make a major change in battery size, that has to be industrialized. And it costs a fortune for them to rework assembly lines and right, engineer right. that stuff in. And and uh, so it's just cheaper to, you know, put a, a battery bar across them and tie them all together. I'm, I'm assuming that's why. I think... Though, as we start to transition, and I think the industry is going to have to transition to 24 volt, just simply because we need faster computers and stuff in the trucks to run the engines to meet emissions. We need, you know, extended run times on our EAPUs, I think, which are going to become more common. And I think when we do that transition, that we'll probably get a little smarter on the actual battery layout in the truck than than what we have now, because when we start stringing all these batteries together, we have connection points that get loose and they corrode and it just, you know, yeah. there's resistance there and it, it just becomes problematic the, the more um, we string together like that. So it, it wouldn't surprise me. And and I'll let you know, of course, if, if the, one of these trucks does come with a 24-volt system they were talking about, how it's configured and how it's laid out. Yeah, I would think that once we start separating out our hotel loads and really putting in, you know, better battery systems for those, why don't we look at this starter battery configuration? Why don't we come up with one battery that would start? Because that's all we're asking it to do at this point. We just want it to start the truck. And why do we need four batteries with all these complicated cables and connections? Why can't we come up with one battery that's sufficient to start the truck and have a jump switch so that if some point that battery goes to dead, you just hit your switch and you pull off the house batteries? Yeah, I, I think we're going to start to see the, the ultra capacitor in the starting role. Um, especially as we get deeper into the solar. And then I think we're going to see a little bit smarter um, thinking on the batteries for the, for the hotel and the house load. Um, so yeah, I would, wouldn't be surprised to see all this stuff happening here in the, in the near future. All right. Sounds good. We're going to grab another call. Uh, Angie, don't screen anymore. I'll take the uh, last two calls we have on the line here. Uh Boy, my phone system does not want to respond today, and it doesn't seem to be my internet. I think we're actually having problems with the the server on the phones themselves. Let me try to refresh this one more time. We might have to wrap it up. Um, my whole phone system just disappeared again, and it's it's definitely not on my end. I'm still broadcasting. I still have good internet. Uh, I just think our phone system went down. So, uh, nope, I can't get it back. Looks like uh, we're going to wrap this up. So, uh, John, Joel, I can't even get to your calls. I'm assuming you're both still there, though. I'm here. Yeah, Yeah. I'm here. All right. Well, my phone system just disappeared again, and I can't get it back this time. So maybe it's trying to tell me something. It's been a long week. We've done a lot of hours. It's Friday. Um, maybe the internet gods are telling me to take a break. So um, another great show, you guys. I love it. Next show, uh, we're throwing out the challenge. You got to come up with a topic we've never talked about before. Anything goes. Uh, awesome. All right. We come up with. All right. All right. We'll, we'll work I'm on good. that. You guys have a great weekend, and we will see you back here on Monday. Be safe. Be profitable. 
Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.